Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. And, you know, for the sake of our reputation and everything else and just to be the good people and everything else because we're actually humble by the fact that we know that's actually not true. So everything we do when we're walking in the spirit comes directly out of the cross of Jesus Christ, right? Our identity, um, our power to move forward doing hard things. And so one of the reasons I kind of landed on the conversation is because this week I had a friend call me. Um, I had a friend call me and, well, two things happened. I had a friend call me and then I was being interviewed by somebody. And in the middle of the, both of them are about the same thing. They're about some of my work with kids and teenagers and everything else. And one of the guys called me and he said, man, he said, Jay, these kids that I kind of, I'm kind of a big brother to, they just got in some really, really bad trouble. Um, and they just did something really, really bad. And not only that, the thing they did was to a police officer. They didn't know who it actually was. And he said, I actually know the officer. And so he's like, he said, I really feel compelled to step in and lead these kids and he said but he said I think I'm just being selfish so I'm running from my calling like I don't want to take on the responsibility so that was him then I was getting interviewed and the person was talking to me about teenagers and they asked the question they're like well man you know like how do you actually push through and keep going and keep like sacrificing and everything else and so it kind of hit me in the middle of the conversation I was like oh you think that I'm actually good like, you're asking these questions because you think I'm good, and you want the good guy to tell you the secret. And so that was that moment where I get to actually tell the actual truth and walk in the light and glorify Christ, right? And so I told both of them that exact same thing, and it was, it was a beautiful moment for me because it just, it, you know, anytime we get to get small before the cross, it's beautiful. But in that moment, I told him, I said, listen, I said, I don't keep going because I'm good and I never stepped into it because I'm good I'm like we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ the Bible says he actually like like he took joy in the fact that he was coming to wipe away our iniquities and our sins right saving people who have no way to save themselves the Bible calls us to the ministry of reconciliation which by definition means that we are actually called to make children and friends out of people who are actually enemies of God like God wants us to be a part of bringing them into relationship because if we know him and we're his children that's how we were brought into relationship right enemies of God sinners falling short and he reconciles us to him through Jesus Christ and so I said I don't do this because I'm good my heart gets broken all the time I get kids that are like man Jay we're with you you know good stuff and then I look on Facebook, and they got a Tech Nine on on the Facebook, like, "Hey, we come see us," and it's heartbreaking. And 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 and, and in our carnality and in our flesh, you want to go. You know what? You don't want my help. I'm done with you. That's how we're broken, and this is where the cross compels us. Because in that moment, that's when you can look at the cross when you're tired and say, "I can't go any further," or "God, this is simply too much." And then when you take a look at the cross and what Jesus did. And when he looked at you and go, and you're, you're, you're coming to repent for him for the hundred thousand time for the same exact sin. And he's still there waiting with his mercy and his mercies are being renewed every morning. Right. 
That's that, that's that thing that, that where the cross empowers us to go forward when we look at it and we realize how much we've been lavished with mercy and grace. And he doesn't say flee from me and get out of my face when we keep coming with the same mess over and over again. He keeps treating us as children and he keeps walking with us. So in life, when we look at that and we turn to other people and we're dealing with their brokenness and we're human. So we get tired, we get worn out. But the cross paints this picture of leaning into the cross and leaning into the mercy that we've received. It compels us to move forward. It compels us to do something that in our human strength we don't have the power to do. Our heart is not as good as we think it is. Our love is not as deep as we think it is. The love of Christ is deeper than anything we can possibly imagine. Y'all get where I'm coming from? So we're compelled by the love of Christ. And so Tony's going to preach this thing this morning. He's going to tell us some good news, right? That's, this, is a, this is amazing stuff. We don't have nothing in church better to tell you about than this period. This is what we're here for, the cross, for Jesus Christ. There, there's nothing else. And so we're going to lift them up high this morning. So y'all welcome uh, bro, my, bro, my brother Tony up here. Tony, Tony, I almost got tempted to throw the hat on, but, you know, I know not to do that, brother. I know not to do it. I know the hat is sacred. I love you, man. Am I on? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Am I Okay, good. Thank you. Put my hat somewhere. Okay. I called Jay earlier in the week, and I asked how he's doing, and what's up? We talked for a while, and I said, anyway, I can help you? And um, he said, um, no, not right now. I didn't think you didn't think you were going okay. Then um, a little bit later, he sent me a text, and he said, um, can you preach for me? So I thought, you ask and you receive. So I asked him, and here I am. But it's great to be here and be with you. And I think this message, compelled by the love of Christ, speaks to me as much as uh, hopefully it will speak to you this morning. Um, but let me pray for us as we begin. Father, thank you for this time we can gather and, and look into your word and, and see what it means to be compelled by your love, to be sent forth by you and to, to go out to your word says, we'll read a little bit later, to be ambassadors for you, compelled by your love. So thank you. Give, may my words honor you and uplift the name of Jesus, and may you speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're reading from um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, and um, I'll read the passage, verses 13 through, um, I think about 21. It's on the screen. It says, for if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and raised, was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was rec reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed, us to the committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
It starts off in this passage, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you, for Christ's love compels us. I was looking up the word to compel. What does compel mean? One uh, definition was to exert a strong but irresistible force on. It's a force that you can't resist. It's so strong, you do things that you maybe wouldn't normally do. Um, maybe we can relate to this. Uh, if you know the song, The Things We Do for Love, um, maybe that explains some of it. When you are love someone, you'll do some crazy stuff. Uh, some things you'll think, what was I thinking, you know? But you're compelled by the love you have for the other person. When uh, Connie and I were engaged, we were in a country in Africa, in Kenya. We were about four hours apart, and I, I wanted to see her every chance I got. And sometimes I'd have meetings in the town where she was living. And so to see her and spend as much time with her, I would uh, to take a bus from my town to her town, and I would get on it at 7 o'clock at night, ride it till midnight in her town. And they told us, don't get off the bus at that time because those people out would mug you. So I stayed on the bus. I slept on the bus from... 12 until 6 in the morning when it got light so I could go and see her and have lunch with her. Um, I was compelled by my love for her. I did this many times. I didn't do it once. I did it many times. And it was like I didn't even think anything about it. I was compelled to be with her. And I think many of us can say when we are love someone or compelled by other things, we do things that might seem, well, you know, was that, was that the best thing to do? Um, but it was, it was a thing that, that I wanted to do. I was compelled. And many times we are, something that compels us, the love of Christ compels us to do things we wouldn't maybe normally do. It goes on in that passage, it says, the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. When Christ's love compels us and we live for him, I was thinking to myself, my, love, my life has been impacted in three ways. First, we will go to places and other th places where we wouldn't normally or naturally go. We are compelled by Christ's love to go. In the Bible, in the, um, the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world. We'll go because we're compelled by his love. I've been in many places in my life and I look back on it and I can say, why are you there? I was compelled by Christ's love. We lived in North Africa for a number of years and uh, it was not an easy place to live in many ways. Uh, predominantly Muslim culture and just it was hard to know people. And we came back to the U.S. on a trip and some friends met us and they said, how long have you lived there? And we said, oh, three or four years. And they said, you must love it there, to live there. And we looked at each other, Connie and I, and we said, do we love it, the life there? Do we love it? And we thought, no, we, we go because we're compelled. I thought, you think of people who serve in the military service and go in different deployments. When they come back, will we ever ask them, do you go because you love it? No, they go because they're compelled by their commitment to go. And so we've done the same. We go because we're compelled to go. We have a friend who's a plastic surgeon in North Carolina. They came to visit us uh, three or four years ago, and we took them around to show what God was doing in Jacksonville took them to a Claire White Mission. I don't know if you're familiar with Claire White Mission, but what they're doing there is pretty amazing in ministering to the homeless in the city. And they were so touched by Claire White, they went back to New York feeling that God wanted them to go where they wouldn't normally go. And they sold 
their home in the suburbs and moved into the city of where they lived in, in North Carolina and bought an older house, began to fix it up, used some of the resources, working with their church, bought a school that was going into disrepair and going to be closed, uh, rebuilt the school, fixed the school to offer opportunities for people in that community that were underserved. Uh, they, they sold their lake prop, property so they could put money there. They just started doing a number of things to live in that community because they felt that's what God wanted to do is compelling by, compelled by the love of God. And as I talked to my friend who's a plastic surgeon, and he shared with me about what they're all they were doing and, and things. I, he said the hardest ones to explain what they were doing to were the other plastic surgeons. They thought he was crazy. They said, one of them said, you know, I hope it works out for you, but I'll, I'll never do that. They just, they could not understand why he was doing it. And I thought for me, as I live my life for Christ, if unbelievers aren't asking, why do you live the way you do? Maybe it means that my life is so much like theirs, they don't see a difference. Very, very challenging to me. I should be able to live in a way that others would say that don't know Christ, that are not compelled by his love, would say, why do you do this? It looks crazy to us. I mean, why would you, you know, why would you attend a church like the Ville? Why would you want to be friends with these people? Why would you want to love these people? It looks crazy. It makes no sense. We will go where we wouldn't normally or naturally go. And then secondly, we will do what we would not normally or naturally do. We will do things that we wouldn't normally or naturally do. It didn't come natural. There's a story told of a seminary student uh, in Chicago who needed summer work, work for the summer. And he began to apply to churches to be able to use what he's learned in seminary for a job. Well, time went by. He never got an offer at a church. And so um, he had to get a job. So he took a job driving a bus in Chicago. And some, some neighborhoods in Chicago could be pretty rough, but he needed money. It gave him some money. So he was driving a bus. And one day where he was driving, some young men got off, and they refused to pay. They just walked right past him, sat down on the bus. They began to harass him and harass the other passengers. This went on for two or three days, and he, he couldn't take it anymore. And he, as, he was, as they got on and they refused to pay again, he saw a police officer on the side. He, he pulled over and told the police officer. The police officer got on the bus and made the young men pay. He said, if you want to be on this bus, you've got to pay. The only problem was the police officer got off the bus, and the young men stayed on the bus. Well, a few blocks later, the young men took it out on him. They beat him up. Uh, and when he came to, he had missed some teeth. He was you know, bloody. And his face was swollen. Uh, and he drove the bus back to the depot, and they told him, just go home for the weekend. You need to, you need to recover. And he went home, and laying in his home, he was just bitter and angry that, why, God, would you allow this to happen to me? I'm trying to serve you. I don't understand what's happening. But as he was laying there and becoming angry, you know, and his mind was like, these, these young men need to pay. I need to get, bring them to account. So he went and found the police officer that worked with him and knew the young men, and they, they, they rounded up the young men. Some of the other passengers that didn't help him on the day when he had been beaten, they came forward, they identified these young men, and they, they, they arrested all of them. They, they got them to court for the court date. And so he said when he went into the courtroom on the day of the trial, or the, when he went in that day, he, he walked in and he saw the young men sitting there all shackled and in their, in their prison uniform, and he said, something changed. He said, I can't explain it, but something changed. I looked at him. I didn't feel anger. I didn't feel bitter. I felt love for them. He said, God began to work in my heart. So in the, in, in the trial, the, the, the lawyer for these young men stood up, and he said, they'll, they'll plead guilty, honor, your honor. Well, the young seminary student, he stood up, and he said, wait a minute, can I say something? 
And the judge was surprised. He said, okay, go ahead. He said, uh, could you count up all the, the, the penalties that these young men will pay, the, all the days you're going to sentence them, and could you count it all up? And he said, I want to serve, and I want to go to jail on their behalf. And the judge was just, he, he couldn't believe it. The lawyers couldn't believe it. What's this? this man's crazy. And after, and even the young men, their eyes were, you know, like saucers looking at him. You know, what is this? And as, as people were trying to gain their composure, he looked over the young men, he said, I'm doing this because I forgive you for what you did to me. In the middle of that, the judge pulled it all back together, and he said, young man, this, you know, what you're saying, he said, I, I appreciate your concern, but this is, this is impossible. This has, never been, this has never been done before. And the young man said, yes, sir, it has. He said, over 2,000 years ago, a plain Jewish man died on a cross for all of us. And for like the next three, four minutes, he explained the gospel to the whole courtroom. Well, it went on, the judge said, I appreciate your concern, but I can't allow this to happen. And he sent us to young men. But because of the God had changed his heart and God, God had made him go to do things he wouldn't normally do because he was wanting justice. He was wanting these men to pay, but God changed his heart. He was compelled by the love of God. Even though these young men were sentenced, he was able to visit them in, in, in jail, and, and several of them came to place their faith in Christ because of what God had done in his life. So many times... When we follow Christ, when we're compelled by His love, we will go to places we wouldn't normally go. We will do things we wouldn't normally or naturally do. And then we will love those who we wouldn't normally or naturally love. It goes on in this passage, it says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. I don't know about you, but when someone offends me or does something against me, uh, I don't want to see them through the eyes of Christ. I want to see them through my eyes, and I want them to pay for what they've done to me. But he, Christ said, no, I'm working. I, I want you to see them as I see them. I want you to love them as I would love them. I want my love to compel you to love them. Well, we had we were been in Jacksonville about seven years now, and I was uh, once asked, I, I told the school, one of the schools in the community we were living that I'd be willing to help any way I could, be a, a mentor if I could. And so uh, I got a call from one of the counselors that said there's a young man that, that needed someone to, to, to spend some time with him, be a mentor. Uh, they said the young man wasn't uh, a bad young man, but he had been picked up with drugs at school and they were going to uh, kick him out of school or expel him. But they said, would you just spend some time with him? So I, I showed up at the school to spend time with him met his grandmother and some others, and then met this young man. And, and when I first met him, he didn't want anything to do with me. I think he first thought I was an undercover police officer, wanted to get information from him. So he wanted nothing to do with me. And I remember talking to him and uh, asking him to Did I do something? I remember talking to him and asking things about him, and, and all he would say was, yes, sir, no, sir. He wasn't giving me any information. Um, and so I began to reach out to him. I'd call him, say, can we spend some time together? Uh, one time I showed up at his house, he and his grandmother were having a knockdown, drag out fight over things that he had done, and it just, you know, but I spent time with him, took about three or four times of going out, getting something to eat, getting some, and, and before he would ever say more than yes sir, no sir. About the third time I was thinking, this is, this is getting me nowhere, I think this is a waste of my time, you know, I didn't, why should I spend time with this young man, he didn't want to be with me. Um, but about the fourth time I, I, got, I got with him, he started talking, and he just started, he, he didn't stop talking continues and I, I remember he, he told me that um, his father died when he was rather young and he was about 16 this time uh, his mother died when he was 15 and he said when my mother died I, I lost all 
reason to live. I just, it didn't matter. <coughs> Nothing mattered to me anymore. Let's see. Let's do this here. Okay. Anyway, so I, um, and it, we spent time with him and, and just got to know him better and just uh, said, I believe in you. I want to, I want to you know, work with you. Uh, he, it was amazing to see what God did, how uh, just we brought us together. He finished high school. He's got a job now. He's, he's, he's making progress, wants to go on to school. Uh, and I thought, you know, had it left, been left to me early on in this relationship, I would have I bagged it. I would have said, I, I don't need to be with you. You don't want to be with me. Uh, you know, that we don't have anything in common. You know, I'm, I'm this 50-year-old white man. You're a 16, 17-year-old black young man. We, we have nothing in common. Why should we spend time together? But God worked in both of my hearts and me especially to say, keep going. Keep, I'm compelling you. You go. And you spend time with him. You know, and it was exciting to see what God did. And we still have a great relationship now. And it's, it's fun to see him. He calls me from time to time. We'll get together. But just that God had to compel me to go. I didn't, I didn't want to go. And then, but, that, you know, you'd think, I wish every situation was that way. There are people in our lives that God says, I want you to love them. I'm compelling you to go love them. And they don't reciprocate. And sometimes I want to say, you know, if they don't reciprocate, I, I'll do it a few times, but I won't do it much. I won't keep doing it, but God says, I want you to go. I'm compelling you by my love to go. Um, we got In my family, there's been a dispute, and I tried to step in to sort it out. One family member's hurt another. I tried to sort it out. I think I made it worse than getting it better, um, and to the point that one of our family members is just not communicating with us at all. Uh, his, this family member's birthday was earlier this month. I sent him a birthday card. I sent him a text to say, I hope you got my card. I've heard nothing back. And there's a sense, a part of me that says, okay, if that's the way you want to be, that's good. I don't need you, you know, I, I don't need to be in your life. But God's saying, I want you to love them. I'm compelling you to go by my love to love them. You know, in, in our lives, we, Jesus said, if we're going to be his disciples, we have to do more than just what's around us. In uh, Matthew, it says, Jesus was teaching, he says, you have heard that, it's, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Then he went on to say, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? So I think about for myself, compelled by his love, I am to love those that I wouldn't normally or naturally love. And if we think about our own lives, there's people in our lives that, you know, it's difficult to love. It's difficult to express love to uh, for different reasons. But God says, you know, as I think about this, in, in this passage, he goes on and he's, it says, as he finishes up, he says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I think we are compelled by Christ's love to live differently by going where we wouldn't normally go or naturally go, by doing what we wouldn't normally or naturally do, by loving those who we wouldn't normally or naturally love because he is reconciling the world to himself through us as his ambassadors. And I think what Jay was saying earlier, I don't, many times I don't feel like a very good ambassador. We've had a chance to live in different countries around the world, and we've interacted with some ambassadors. And if the ambassador did, didn't do what he was supposed to do, he was gone. They didn't keep him around. If he didn't represent the country uh, well, then they, they, they moved him on. They got him somewhere else. And I think in my life sometimes 
I'm not a very good ambassador. I do things. I hurt others. I say things. I, uh, I judge others. I just continually to seem like I'm a bad ambassador. But then God reminds me, you didn't choose yourself as an ambassador. I chose you. I know you. I love you. I know what I'm doing in your life. And you are my ambassador. So go and be my ambassador to others. Because people need to be reconciled to God. And so I ask us this morning, as we look at our lives, are we compelled by Christ's love to live differently for Him than those around us? To go where we would normally or naturally go, to do what we would naturally or normally do, and to love those who we would, wouldn't normally or naturally love. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word and that you have called us, and who are we that we have, would be ambassadors? We feel like we have no credentials or no, uh, we, we, we are not qualified in any way to be your ambassadors, but you have called us, and we want to go and be your ambassadors, and we want to represent you. And we fail many times, but you are always there with your grace to continue to send us. So send us, Father, to this world that's so needy, and use us in others' lives. Change us to be like Christ that we might be your message. We might be able to call others and say, be reconciled to God and know life as we know life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One, two, can y'all hear me? We're about to take communion, but that scripture right there is so amazing. I just got to say something. Tony did his thing, didn't he? Appreciate you preaching the gospel this morning, Tony. We, um, I just want to read this to you really quick and reiterate some of the things he said. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says... If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are out of our mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Um, and, if, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And then it makes this statement right here in verse 16. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. One of the ideas that's being communicated in that statement right there is this idea is that we all come before God as sinners, right? We come, be, you know, before we are actually brought into the family and we are redeemed and reconciled to Christ and we now are called a royal priesthood. And he gives us this crown of righteousness because of his work, right? Prior to that, the Bible says we have all fallen short. And it says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, we walk in the spirit and we don't move by a carnal perspective that functions off of man's flesh and our ideas and what we think is right is right and wrong. We actually submit to the will of God and he determines what righteousness is through his son, right? So a couple of weeks ago, you heard me preach and I was talking about how Paul was talking about these super apostles and all these awesome preachers that would show up during this time, and they had all the glitz and glamour, but they were missing the heart of the gospel. And he said, I intentionally undermine these type of people 
every chance I get because they're trampling on the good news of the gospel. And so when you read this text and it makes this statement, if we are out of our mind, it means that in, 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 in comparison to the carnal perspective of what it looks like to even be a Christian, we are supposed to look like we must be out of our mind. Not because we're running off the walls, leaping, doing backflips and everything else and being hyper spiritual, but because our spirituality is actually based in the cross and Jesus Christ dying on the cross. So we are compelled to lay our life down where other people go, they don't deserve it or that's too much or this is actually, you know, you've had to talk before. Hey, listen, you need to do what's, this is not what's best for you. I sure didn't feel good on the cross to die for people that you're dying for and they're spitting on you, right? So the way God stands on high and looks down on us is not the way we look at it horizontally. It's not the way that we actually deem it should be. And that's why we have to get small before the cross and God get very, very big because he's the way, the truth, and the light. You get what I'm saying? And he, 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 he is literally life for us. He is life for us. If we don't trust in him, then we're rele relegated to just carnal concepts and ideas. And the concepts that rule this world right now are if you take from me, then I'm going to cut your arm off. Or if you fall short, you're not, you know, you're not making it. So whatever, and we disregard, we, we, we discard people like they're nothing, right? But the word of God says two commandments. Everything hinges on these two things. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but when I'm laying on the ground and I'm, I'm on the bottom, I pray that somebody will show up and lavish me with mercy and grace and help me get up off the ground, even if I don't deserve it. And this is the kind of heart God is showing us on the cross and he's telling us to follow. And he's telling us as his children to be empowered by it, to run after and pursue him and pursue the people he loves, which to the world may not be lovable at all but to him mean absolutely everything, and they're worth his son on the cross. Y'all get where I'm coming from? All right. I'm about to do a backflip, but I'm not going to do a backflip because, boy, thank you, Jesus, Lord. We just praise you, Father. We thank you for your mercy. God, where will we be without you right now? Horrifies me to even think about it. And I don't even know how we even got here, why you would just come and pursue us in our sin and in our rebellion. And bring us into your family. Even when some of us where we thought we were actually on the good team and thought we were doing good and thought it was out of our works, you tolerated it. And then you brought the truth to us. And you showed us ourselves. And then for some of us, we were just going a million miles the other way. And you just snatched us out of it. And it is an absolute miracle. God, we thank you, Father. We praise you and we thank you, Father. With all the might we can muster up. And it's pitiful at times. But God, you call us your children. You love us regardless, Father. And it's absolutely crazy. You said you would never leave us or forsake us. So God, we are rich on our worst day. We are rich on our worst day. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to continue to put truth in front of us. 
and continue to do a work where we cherish truth. And it's the sweetest thing that we can we can we can grasp on this part of heaven that it's bigger than any car we could drive, any house we could have, anything we can get a hold of. Any boyfriend, any girlfriend, any spouse, all of that stuff, that all of it gets small in comparison of being called your child and knowing who you are. And Father, that's only something that can happen through your Holy Spirit. It's a gift you give us, the gift of grace and the gift of mercy. And I keep saying it, Father, because it'll never, ever get old and we'll be jumping around going crazy about it for eternity. So we praise you, Father. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the people in this room. We thank you for the people um, in this city and all the churches that are preaching the gospel throughout the whole world right now. We thank you, Father, Lord, and we pray for mercy and for help to show up for the people in this city right now that, um, excuse me, in this country right now that are going through so much turmoil and they're just lost right now, Father. But there's people in Puerto Rico right now in the islands and different places and even in our city that are going through hardships right now. And I know we can't answer every single problem, Father Lord, but you said our prayers are effective. So, Father, I pray that we are expedient to respond when something's in proximity and we can be a help. But I pray, Father Lord, the things we hear about that are in the distance, Father Lord, we send our prayers there and we ask, Father Lord, for relief to be brought to people. And I pray that more than anything that the good news of the gospel will show up on people's doorstep even in the midst of tragedy right now. So I thank you, Father, for doing it. I'm already watching you do it. I'm already witnessing it happening. So we thank you for that, Father Lord. And Father Lord, we come, and right now we're coming to take the table right now, Father Lord, and to take communion, Father Lord. And this is where we come together as a family. We may be different in so many different ways, and we may be working through those things as you're showing us how to um, love each other and esteem each other higher than ourselves, Father Lord. But one thing we do have always in unity is the cross. It's that we come as redeemed saints because of what you've done. So we celebrate you. We drink the drink, Father Lord, because your blood was spilled for us. We eat the bread because your body was broken, Father Lord, that you can give us eternal life with you, Father Lord. And that our sins could be wiped away, Father Lord. You're the sacrificial lamb, and this is why we show up here. Father Lord, you said that before we take communion, that we need to search our hearts. This is a moment to get small and for the cross to get really big and for us to put our hands down and identify our need for you, Father, and to rejoice in it. So, Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to do that work in our heart. And your word says also if we're not Christians and we're not believers and followers of your son, Jesus, that this table is not for us. We pray that everybody in this room that is not a believer, that they would join our family. But until they make that decision, this moment is simply not for them. And we grieve that because we want everybody to be a part of it. But right now we take this table and we rejoice in what you've done. Through your son, Jesus, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.